What do you have to say to people who are concerned with picking a niche because then they're going to feel too boxed in? Maybe a little blunt, but that's kind of your problem. You know, if, if you don't love it, then why are you talking about it? Why are you doing it? Right. It's like I could wake up every single day at 4 a.m. and go to bed at 2 a.m. and talk about sports. I love sports. I love cars. I love, you know, nice homes and, and such. And uh, I can never get old. It, it never gets old. You know, sometimes you get tired. You know, you're at the end of the day, you hit the bed. And I'm like, I'm ready for bed. But I have so much, you know, enthusiasm and energy and curiosity about sports stories and, um, you know, crazy cool cars or celebrity garages and what cars people own or what's in this crazy wild mansion in, in the Hamptons, you know. And so those things just never get old to me. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. And before we get into today's conversation with Adam Ferris, there's a couple things I want to go over first. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to leave us a positive rating and review. Share this episode with a friend and subscribe to the show. Put up brand new interviews every single Monday and a brand new takeaways episode is an audio exclusive where I sit down and break down the most recent podcast episode of the week every single Thursday. And now today on the podcast, we are joined by Adam Ferris. Adam is building Dapper Life, a modern media company on TikTok, currently running three accounts with a combined following over 1.5 million and an average monthly view count of 65 million. And just over a year since starting, he's already worked with the likes of Sports Illustrated, ESPN, Bleacher Report, Overtime, Omaze, and more. And I cannot be more excited to have him here on the podcast today. Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jacob. Also super excited to be here and excited to chat with you. Where I like to start all of these podcasts, I like to go all the way back to the beginning. So were you born and raised in Oregon? I was, yeah. I'm a, gosh, third, second or third generation Oregonian. Um, grew up just outside of Portland uh, my entire life. Actually, same home. My parents never moved. Uh, blessed to have that opportunity. It was a great neighborhood I grew up in and um, attended University of Oregon after that, as my parents did. I'm sure we'll dive into that. And so how close are you, just out of curiosity, to Vancouver, Washington? Because my last guest is actually from Vancouver. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm 20 minutes, maybe. I mean, max. The traffic isn't too bad in Portland, so it shouldn't. T- it didn't take very long to get to Vancouver. I figured you'd be pretty close together. Um, but you mentioned Oregon there. So kind of scrolling through, I, I scrolled through your Instagram, and there's a lot of photos at Oregon, even before you went there, I'm talking about like not when you were a student, but like before there. Uh, for my understanding, it was like your dream school since you were five years old. So, what was it about Oregon? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of touched on it. It was, it was always my. It kind of felt like a second home. Uh, both my parents attended there. That's where they met, frankly. And so, just you know, growing up as in kind of a, a duck family, if you will, uh, and being fairly close. It's about you know an hour and a half um, from you know, where my parents and where I used to live to Eugene, um, which is where the University of Oregon is, we would always go to football games, basketball games. Obviously, my family and, and, and myself are big sports fans, uh, as you see my content, I'm sure. And um, yeah, it, it was always kind of like a second home. I applied to a few other schools, but I was like, in the end, I was like, this is where I've always wanted to go. This is where I'm most comfortable. They have, you know, kind of the um, uh, sort of, the the space that I wanted to get into um, and things that I was curious about. And I never really looked back after that. And with a GPA above 4.0 in grade 12, there's no way you weren't getting in. <laughs> yeah. I think that might be a, a, you're, you're making me sound good. I think it was like, I don't know. I don't really know what my GPA was. I don't think it was a 4.0, but I think it was like a 3.5 or something in high school. And um, 
Yeah. Hey, I was, I was just happy they accepted me and I got in. <laughs> I found somewhere that you had over 4.0 in grade 12, really? at least. That's where I, I, I was like an award or something. I'm pretty sure. Like, I can't remember where it was, but I wrote it down here that it was like an award you want for having an over 4.0. Yeah. I, I wonder if that was for like just a specific quarter or something, but you're probably not wrong. I mean, I, I to be honest, I don't even remember my high school GPA. No, that's fair. I don't think anyone does, but I was just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, but entrepreneurship was always a big thing for you as well, growing up from my understanding. Like I know you had a car detailing business in high school, but was there any like early, early, actually, I think I've found somewhere that did you use, like it was rocks or something at your family beach house where you like got them and sold them. Was that like the first entrepreneurial foray for you? Yeah. Yeah, man, Jake, if you dug deep. Uh, so my family, we've got a beach house, uh, in, kind of a small beach town called Oceanside, Oregon. And uh, one of my things that I always loved to do when I was a kid was find agates, which, you know, kind of naturally polished rocks from the ocean. And they look really cool. And so that's exactly what I did. I kind of like collected these rocks and I would like sell them to my neighbors once we got back to, um, you know, home and and not at the, the coast. And so that was, yeah, I guess that was kind of like my first ever entrepreneurial endeavor, really. And are either of your parents entrepreneurial? Like, or are you just kind of like completely different from them? I would say I'm fairly different. Um, they have some entrepreneurial kind of side hustles and tendencies now, but from what I understand when they were growing up, that wasn't really their forte. Okay. So why do you think it was yours? Good question. I, I, I think that there's just something kind of ingrained in me that just loves providing value to people, whether that's information, whether that's education, whether that's entertainment, frankly. Um, and also I get a ton of value. Uh, I, it brings me so much joy. It's like, it just doesn't even seem like work, whatever I'm working on kind of being your own boss in a sense. Um, it just doesn't even feel like work. It's just, it's so fun to me. So then when you had that car detailing business, was that like your job through high school? Like you didn't have like a a regular part-time job, like you ran your own business and that was your part-time job in high school. Yeah, correct. So, uh, I, yeah, me and, uh, two buddies and I actually, we just have a, just a fondness for cars. We always have. And, um, he kind of lived in a nicer neighborhood and there were some nicer cars in in that neighborhood. And we would, I mean, quite literally go to, uh, go from door to door or we'd go to like the local shopping area and pop our cards on there and see if, and we'd get emails, we'd get calls. It was a ton of word of mouth, but I mean, we probably had for a solid, maybe two years. I mean, at least uh, three to four cars that we detailed a week. Um, we, we just absolutely loved it. We'd pop on music. We'd start detailing the cars. It'd take a few hours to do, um, you know, a couple and just had a great time doing it. Is it nerve wracking to clean like really nice and expensive cars? Like knowing that you can't, like you can't scratch it, you can't screw up in any way because they are so expensive. You know, what's interesting is that we were actually really confident in our ability to detail because uh, we get that. I got that question a lot when I was younger, especially when we would do uh, kind of polishes and waxing. Um, but because, you know, there's very little kind of margin of, uh, of error there. But um, yeah, honestly, the most nerve wracking part was driving it back to the client, <laughs> to be completely honest. Everything else was like we're too, super confident in our ability. We had fun with it. We had a ton of like really good client um, uh, kind of reviews, if you will. and just had a great time doing it. That's awesome. And so, so that was high school. And then did you, you went to Oregon right away, right? There was no year in between. Correct. Yes. So how did it feel when you, when you got accepted, you know, being the dream school, since you were five years old, you, you know, you've been going there your entire life to actually know that you get to attend there. Like, what did that feel like for you? A huge weight lifted off my chest. I don't know why 
I ever doubted that like, oh, they would, you know, not let me in, I would get denied. I feel like that's always kind of a fear of every, every high school student of you not getting into your dream school, you know, even if it's, um, I don't want to say like, you know, for sure a lock. Uh, but um, yeah, I was just so excited for the next stage of my life and to find the people that I wanted to resonate with and just kind of find myself actually in a sense. I've heard you say elsewhere that you're not a traditional learner. So I'm curious, like, especially as someone who's not a traditional learner and entrepreneurial, why did you still decide to go to school? Was it just the draw of Oregon itself and kind of the aura that that school gives off to you? That's why you went? Like, why did you decide to still go to school? I talk about this a lot, actually. Um, yeah, even in high school, that's why I was shocked to hear I had a 4.0, uh, was that I just have such a hard time with the traditional and frankly, in my opinion, antiquated way that we teach our youth these days. Um, I much prefer experience. I mean, experience overall, just dive in. That's how you learn best, in my opinion. I think the biggest value of going to university and attending is the personal growth. Kind of what I mentioned towards the end of that last sentence um, is you really find yourself. I was a completely different person freshman year than who I came to be senior year. Um, and that's something that, in my opinion, is well worth every dime of college. And you also find business partners, you find lifelong friends, you find faculty that can help you in various different ways um, that, that sticks with you for the rest of your life. Is there a way to replicate that without going to school? You know, I hadn't really thought about something like that. I know there's a bunch of kind of alternative schools popping up um, left and right. I have no experience or little knowledge of kind of how those pan out to be honest with you. Um, but absolutely. I mean, again, I think that the personal growth is invaluable in, in college, but I think the extracurricular aspects and the what you're kind of curious about and how you pursue that is where you can learn most and get your most value. Um, and I think that those things, the latter half of those things can be absolutely learned and pursued uh, outside of a, a college environment. And you, did you do any of the online learning? Like, was it, what did COVID happen? I think it was like your senior year, right? So did you have to do any of the online learning stuff? I did. And I it just, yeah, it wasn't the same. It was, uh, it for sure didn't seem worth it at that point. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, that I'm actually really grateful for that because we'll dive into this in just a second probably, but that's kind of where I started the whole TikTok thing was in quarantine. Um, but yeah, definitely school was much more challenging and not so fun. Yeah, no, I asked that because like I see all these people, like I follow some people have their own online courses that they teach and they talk about building community online. But it's just like, I don't know how you could replicate that experience online with like with the, from the school aspect. Like I only did two years at like a, a community college, I guess, equivalent here in Canada. Uh, but it was awesome. And it was all in person. It was very hands-on, kind of like you said, like I chose that school because it was very practical. There was like the final year was working with actual clients and things like that. And so that's why I went there. Um, but I couldn't imagine how you replicate that online and like how you build those relationships with the, your like, with your group mates or whatever online. So that's why I was curious about that. But you mentioned that the most important part about it though, isn't just the, isn't the education, it's the extracurriculars. And you kind of dove right head first into that, right? Like you had Duck Ventures and Oregon Blockchain. I think those are both school groups that you started. Correct. Yeah. What was, I think Duck Ventures came first, right? So what was that? Yeah. So Duck Ventures, I don't know why, but from kind of an early age in college, actually, I think it was my freshman year. Um, I was super interested in private equity and just how the flow of investments goes towards private companies and 
what that's used for, how it grow, you know, how private companies grow in that sense, just really the the kind of intricacies and nuances of, of private funding. And um, there was nothing that in a school setting, whether it was uh, via a class or whatnot, I think there's actually a class now, but at U of O, but there wasn't at the time. And I was like, how can, and I've, there was other interest, uh, students that expressed similar interest in the topic. And um, I was like, all right, well, let's like figure something out. Right. Let's like dive in. The best way to learn is through experience. Just dive, dive in. And so I uh, kind of put this group together and contacted a few different um, uh, kind of angel investors as well as VCs. And um, I think maybe even like one kind of larger private equity firm. And um, to be completely honest, totally cold email. I was like, hey, this is what I had in mind. Uh, could You know, I have this group of students with this just this desire and this ambition to learn about what you guys do and be involved in some way. Uh, let us in on screenings, you know, let us take a look at um, why this company was a failure and bring a case study to you. And maybe you can like use that for some sort of value in the future or something. And that's exactly what we did. And um, there was about three or four entities and one or two angel investors that kind of fed us these, um, they were either legitimate deals that we would kind of do screenings on, or they were kind of these hypothetical deals that um, would, uh, was actually more value to us. So super thankful for those individuals because they totally took the time out of their out of their day and um, was able to do that. That must have been an awesome, just like networking tool for you just to get in front of all these people. Like I saw tell people with a podcast, like it's probably similar where it just gave people the reason to talk to you. 100%, 100%. Uh, I mean, even to this day, I'm still close with a bunch of those individuals. Opportunities have come my way that absolutely wouldn't have. Now, unfortunately, I think that the group isn't a thing anymore, but uh, it was actually kind of taken over by the NBAs uh, for a little bit. And then I don't think it's a thing anymore. But um, I think the reason why it's not a thing anymore is because there are actually classes now, which um, I can't I can't confirm or deny whether that's because of Duck Ventures. But um, yeah, I'm just glad that there's actually classes taught by fantastic professors that have prior experience Um because I know there's a lot of students, even at U of O, that, that have interest in that space. What are some of those things that really stick out to you? And I say what you learned through your time at Duck Ventures. Because I feel like private equity, for people who on the outside, they really don't understand how to get in. They don't understand it at all. It's like, what are some of those things that really stick with you today that you learned from your time at Duck Ventures? That the likelihood of a, of a you know startup succeeding is very, very low. But I would also say that you can get very creative with how you you know, build something, how you build a company, how you build a startup. And um, you also need to really pay attention with who you surround yourself with. Um, And I think it's so important to have individuals, excuse me, on your team that just have very specific kind of interdisciplinary skill sets to one another. Um, I think that increases the chances of success. Um, But then I would also say, honestly, obviously the, the goal is a monetary outcome for investors as well as, you know, the entrepreneur. But I would also kind of say suggest um, success is somewhat subjective because um, there's plenty of companies that have provided a ton of value and frankly, just didn't really work out from a financial perspective, but um, that's a whole nother kind of tangent. Yeah. It's just a great place to learn all sides of how companies grow and why things are started and how things are funded and why that is and on and on and on. Can you kind of go down that tangent, like other ways you can deem success other than monetary? That's interesting. I was trying to think of an example, um, but I mean, there's plenty of products that just didn't make financial success. And again, I'm trying to think of something right now, but um, provided a ton of value for people that just are bottoms up now that aren't a thing or that honestly paved the way for future success. I mean, look at um, 
wow, I'm totally blanking on the the kind of uh, you know legacy social network that uh, was prior to Facebook. Oh, MySpace was it MySpace? I was thinking of something else that was like a, it was like a Facebook, but um, I feel like it was something else. It might have been MySpace, but I feel like it was something different. Anyways, and so people can you can kind of take like, hey, this is what this entrepreneur did, and um, I think people also misconstrue that you have to reinvent the wheel uh, when there are plenty of things to um, put forth and you're still bringing a ton of value if you just tweak a few things. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of the, the, you know, kind of my reasoning of like, maybe this initial company wasn't a success, but down the road, it was the um, catalyst of success for, or the inspiration of success for other companies that did do well and provide a ton of value or frankly change the world such as Apple, Facebook, et cetera, whether it's, whether it's good or bad. On that note, I think to your point, like maybe they were the catalysts, maybe they were also just early, right? Like I've listened to Mark Andreessen talk a few times and he always says that sometimes really good ideas are just early and it might not work not because it sucks, but because it's early. And one of those examples is before the iPad, Apple released a tablet in like 1993. It didn't work because it was 1993 and the, the consumers just weren't ready. Like the tech wasn't fully there, but they put it out and it didn't go very well. They scrapped it for like five years. But then fast forward, the iPad didn't work. So the timing was just off. And there's something else you said too that I want to talk about. Oh, you're talking about how people just iterate off of past failures or off of what's already out there, not having to reinvent the wheel. And I think as we move more towards into, into Web3, we're going to see that happening more and more. Because I was listening to, I think when Naval Ravikant talked the other day and he was saying how like all the code and everything, it's going to be public because it's going to be they're going to be able to see it. So you, it's going to be easier for people to innovate on top of each other's creations, which is going to lead to more innovation faster. Definitely. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, one other thing you said that I wanted to ask you about is that you learned that how hard it is for startups to become successful and to, to not fail. So with that in mind, why do you keep starting startups? It's fun. <laughs> I, I, there's a, there's a lot to learn and, um, you know, failures of sorts. I know people maybe don't like the term failure, but you learn so much about you. You learn so much about uh, whatever you were working on and maybe why it didn't succeed in retrospect. Um, but yeah, I, again, I think just taking a stab, I feel like everybody when they're young should at least take a stab at, at uh, trying to create something. Um, and that could be a side hustle turning into a main hustle. That could be a new technology. That could be a media company. Heck, I mean, whatever it is, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you have a skill in, give it a shot. Why not? So before we dive into your media company, I want to talk about, I don't know if they're necessarily failures, but things you started that you're no longer working on. Um, Cause there's other ways you can get value out of something like you said, they're not just monetary, but I think one was shred and the other one was what fleet nurse. I believe those are two things you'd started prior to uh, dapper life, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll touch on fleet nurse first. Cause that's actually a, they're doing great. Um, that was actually started by uh one of the mentors actually we're just talking about duck ventures one of the initial guys i met through duck ventures who was an angel investor basically said hey i've got this idea um i had no idea that staffing in the medical space in the medical industry was such an issue and he came directly from the medical space and said hey got this idea for an app here's what it is xyz um here's how we get started i was like heck i'm like 19 or 20 like i, I just have an ambition and drive and to learn and to be involved in something cool and and uh, let's do it. So just kind of really started from the ground level. And um, yeah, uh, still a co-founder to this day. I think it's uh, about a 30 or $40 million company. They've got over, I think, 15,000 nurses on the platform, a, a ton of acute care facilities. And um, it's quite literally kind of like a task rabbit for 
um, facilities and and nurses and other kind of uh, medical professionals. So it just connects both sides. So as a co-founder of that business, what is what were the other co-founders like? Like I don't I don't know if you're technical or not. So is there technical co-founders? Like I think the problem that a lot of people I have this idea, but I'm not technical. So like, how did you go about? the technical side when putting together fleet nurse. That was, that was not my forte, to be honest with you. Uh, I just kind of wore a ton of hats, help um, just kind of gr- grow any way we could, uh, help with marketing, help with a little bit of design and such. Um, but yeah, I, so Israel, the founder and CEO, I think he actually contracted a, a, a third party to develop the app. I believe it's now all in-house. But that's kind of what he did initially um, was outsourced to a uh, development company uh, and just kind of went from there. And so you're still co-founder. So what's your involvement today? Are you just kind of advising and things like that or how, what's, or is that more a bigger part of your day? Oh no. Yeah. Not, not super involved. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like a board observer, I guess I can listen on the board discussions, which is super cool. And again, talk about really great early experience. I mean, I was 21 or 20 when I was on my first like board call with, all of these, you know, individuals that are twice my age and just hearing the discussions and asking questions helps so much. Um, and then I still get invited to the, to the holiday parties. And that's about it. That's, that's, that's key. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> so the other idea was shred, which is interesting because that one, you went through a pivot with that company. Cause from my understanding, it used to be kind of like the all the the e-scooters that are popping up everywhere you can rent scooters it was kind of going to be the same thing but with with boosted boards essentially right with remote control long boards and then it switched to like a trip advisor but more so for kind of those action oriented experiences right that's exactly correct yeah so uh this was kind of peak um you know scooter and last mile mobility was when we really started that and uh, you know, as you probably recall there was at one point you know three or four scooter companies bird lime and I think, uh, what's the other one? Skip is a good one. Uh, they were all had, you know, multi-billion dollar valuations. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. And uh, there was more, talking about private equity and, and private funding, there was more funding flowing into those companies than I've, I mean, I've ever, I think anybody's ever seen it. It was just absolutely nuts. And um, obviously we kind of saw that hype and saw, a more speci- saw an opportunity to be a little bit more niche and focus specifically on college campuses. It was a constrained environment that you could sort of quote unquote own in a sense, because a huge issue was compliance um, with, within these sort of city zones, huge issue, but with a college campus, it's a pretty defined area. And so we could set up charging stations, which again, help with compliance. We could, um, have training sessions. We could, it was, and it was just a different vehicle. People love scooters. Some people love scooters. Some people love bikes. Some people love boards. Um, and so we did a ton of like market research. We actually had six LOIs, uh, most notably one from, or was it uh, USC at one point um, to kind of at some point do a mock small trial of sense. And I mean, it could be like five to 10 boards and it could be in a small section, but nonetheless kind of try it out on in a campus setting. Um, long story short, hardware is really hard and takes a lot of funding and being at the time it was literally, you know, myself and uh, one of my, you know, now partners, colleagues and friends, Connor Bussey, we were 20 somethings, pretty much no experience. None of us, neither of us are engineers. And we would build, we built the first couple of boards even, uh, and they were fully functional. It worked and eventually brought on other advisors, but we just got super saturated. Uh, people were concerned about safety, totally valid. We had some solutions for that, but, um, yeah, I think the farthest we got was we had a bunch of prototypes. We had some LOIs and 
um, it was just hard to raise money to actually produce the boards in uh, kind of full full production and full capacity so that we could fulfill um, some of these tests. So for companies, because I saw you published probably around the time you were starting this, you did a series on Medium about the e-scooter industry. Um, so I'm sure you, you're pretty well versed in that. So with these e-scooter companies, was they with the hardware, was it just an excessive amount of venture money coming in and that's how we're able to produce them all? Or how did it work for those companies? Like how did they succeed with that? So with such high overhead and hardware? 100%. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, it was the amount of venture money I don't think I've ever seen in flowing into one space, into one sector in such a small amount of time ever. I mean, I'm sure there's something, but I'm fairly young. So this is kind of like my first, you know, experience into like, holy crap, this is an absolutely obtrusive amount of money. And there is absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there was no uh, uh, plan in my opinion, there was no plan for like actual profit. It was like, let's just grow, grow, grow um, until we can, yeah, see what happens kind of actually funny enough. I think recently bird just went public via SPAC. uh, But that's kind of a whole nother tangent that we could go down. And so when did you guys decide to, to pull the plug on the boards and switch to an app? Like when did you decide that? And what does pivoting a company look like? Cause you know, here pop people talk about it all the time. Well, we pivoted, we changed this but internally. Like what does that look like for the company? So there was about a two or three week period where we were just so down in the dumps. And that's just kind of the thing about entrepreneurship is you're going to have a lot of those moments and you really just got to pick yourself back up and be like, Hey, how can I turn this into something interesting and still bring value to you know, to society, frankly. And so what was interesting is that it actually wasn't super far off from our initial concept. What we wanted to do is on the app, be able to like kind of gather this data of where people were most, you know, going um, in high volume. So they could be riding their board to the coffee shop. Great. Well, then now we can have some sort of deal with the coffee shop, um, kind of et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and it was, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, are they going to do this like fun event with friends or something like that. So we always kind of wanted to be the destination for last mile, but also the destination for connecting last mile to things you want to do and things you want to enjoy. And so we kind of expanded on that. And then we looked into some of the key competitors, as you mentioned, TripAdvisor was one of them. And, um, you know, no, no hate to TripAdvisor whatsoever, but uh, just from a younger person's perspective, it seems extremely antiquated. And I don't know a single person that books adventures and experiences through TripAdvisor or any other like, app as of most recent XP or whatever. Uh, it's just not a very good user experience. And so um, we wanted to change that. I mean, I think our generation of kind of millennial to Gen Z-ish is most adapt to wanting to experience life and willing to spend money on experiences, frankly, even if it puts them like in debt, you know? Um, and so, and we, that wasn't our goal by any means, but we wanted to help people enjoy life and find experiences in much more concrete and simplistic way. Um, well, not taking away from the day-to-day life of just living life. We wanted it to be kind of like DoorDash, how you order food in like three clicks. Same thing. You find an experience that you're interested in, in your own personal area or wherever you're traveling. And in two to three clicks, you could have be, you know, be on the water with a surfboard basically. It was you and a friend that started this company you said? Yeah. So it was, uh, kind of my business partner, colleague, friend, we, who's helped start Oregon blockchain at, at UVO. And his name's Connor Bussey. Fantastic guy. And I talked about kind of interdisciplinary skill sets. I'm more of the kind of creative high level vision. He's very data, analytical, financial um, operations, et cetera. Um, but we also had a few notable advisors that really, really helped us day to day that definitely can't go ignored either, which I'm happy to dive into. 
is one of those advisors Brian Johnston, who ultimately became CEO? Correct. Yeah. Brian uh, Brian would kind of take the reins uh, in a sense. He has a past background in, uh, he was the former CMO of the UFC, um, was at GoPro for a while and worked at Nike as well for a while too. Yeah. So how did you guys get in contact with him? Because like just looking at his track record, like that's probably the optimal person to be CEO of a company like this. So how did you, how do you attract, especially as students at the time, how do you attract talent like that to the company? Yeah. So it kind of goes back to just connections early. Um, I had known his daughter in high school and my friend, I don't know if this is TMI, but my friend actually dated his daughter for a while in high school. And so we just had this back in high school, we just had this uh, early connection of, you know, I obviously, obviously had interest in, in business and entrepreneurship and he was this, you know, super cool, uh, outdoorsy kind of business entrepreneurial guy and somebody who I looked up to. And so I, uh, I quite literally, I think I called him or texted him and it was actually the shred board idea that first, and he was kind of advising in that sense and then became really, really hands-on and, and pivotal and helping things progress there. Um, so yeah, we just got closer and closer, um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and to this day, I mean, he's, we're super close and uh, very thankful for everything that Brian has has taught and and done for us. So. And you guys all when because when you're building this again, pandemic was happening, so travel wasn't happening a ton either, right? So you guys, I don't know exactly, but you did some initiative in, like as a result of the pandemic to help small local travel businesses, right? Yeah, man, this was this was gritty. So we, I, I mean, we went state by state, and I quite literally called up any sort of like adventure operator, as we called them or experienced operator um, from uh, mostly West Coast, but sort of sort of Midwest too. Um, and what we did was we would kind of bridge the gap here of, of connecting like sort of media companies and um, that could get the word out there and be like, hey, similar to struggling restaurants, there are these struggling kind of, kind of like, mostly, frankly, mom and pop experienced operators, which make our lives enjoyable and have a lot of fun. And um, that really need kind of your support. And so what we would do is we would put them on the site, um, have some sort of shout out with kind of a larger company. A great example was TechCrunch kind of did a little blurb on us one time, which was super cool. Um, and yeah, people would purchase experience for future use, almost like kind of like a gift card, if you will. Um, we didn't get any, there was no fee, there was no commission. We just really wanted to establish these relationships, honestly, between both sides, because we saw the value of those relationships in the future. Um, and again, it kind of goes back to like why I enjoy entrepreneurship too, is because you're bringing value, you're helping people out, and that makes you know me feel really good. And with Shred or Fleetners, did you do any fundraising with that? Like, did your experience with Duck Ventures and the connections you made come into play with raising capital for those businesses? Yeah, Fleetners uh, raised a ton of money. That was more led by um, <clears throat> more led by Israel, the co-founder and CEO. He did give me the opportunity to kind of sit in on certain things and hear certain discussions and. Um, <clears throat> just kind of chat about, you know, the raise goal, et cetera. Uh, but then, yeah, I mean, Shred was more, way more like myself and was really, you know, our, our being, you know, Connor and I's first experience into trying to raise money. And we did plenty of pitches, both uh, in person and digitally. And uh, I mean, that was an invaluable experience in itself. You learn a lot about yourself for sure. So what are some of those things you learned about yourself? That raising money is really hard. <laughs> and you you hear a lot of, you know, what the hell are you doing? This is stupid. And, and that's said a little, I mean, a little bit of an exaggeration, but um, just kind of a, this doesn't make sense, but said nicely. Uh, 
and just a lot of doubt. And you just have to keep wading through that doubt. And ultimately, I mean, it didn't really work out as I just talked about, but um, still, I think that that's stuck with me in terms of that, um, just kind of having thick skin and, and really sticking with your beliefs and, and what you believe can, can be something interesting. Um, even if 95% of the people you talk to are kind of against it or doubt it. So how do you determine in a situation like that, then what advice to take in from these investors and when to kind of dig your heels in and stick to your convictions? There's a ton of, in my opinion, perspective bias and private funding that you definitely have to weigh out, uh, you know, kind of just let it go over you in a sense. Um, but it is challenging because some people, I mean, many investors speak with uh, high regard and, and lots of conviction. And um, But I think it really boils down to kind of their experience and also their understanding, which is a little bit on us. And like I mentioned, this is our first time raising money. So maybe our pitches could have been better. And we did try to always ask for feedback and always try to make it better and better and more clear and um, but yeah, you definitely have to, you definitely kind of go to bed at night sometimes thinking, man, is this, is this really a good idea? Is this, should we be pursuing this or should we be pursuing something else? And ultimately now you are pursuing something else, right? So you, when did you make the decision to close down Shred? Was that just things with the TikTok side were going so well that you wanted to focus all your efforts or what led to that decision? Yeah. So there was kind of this conflation in time. Uh, and where a multitude of things happened all at once, where it was my senior year, I was graduating, we were in quarantine, we were doing classes remotely, but also things were like kind of on pause at school. It was very interesting. Um, we were Things were trying to be figured out because it's very early on uh, in the pandemic. And yeah, in that time, I just had a bunch of time. We were growing shred, working daily, but at the same time, just at night, I was like, oh, this is kind of like a fun, weird emerging platform that I wanted to test out. And you know, my roommates and I, we'd make these like funny videos and do a bunch of different skits and dances and anything that was ridiculous, you know, on TikTok. And, and basically we did something on sports and it stuck and uh, just kind of the rationale was like, which I think people honestly miss out on on TikTok because, uh, and I'm going on a little bit of tangent, so you can feel free to cut me off wherever. But um, if you're consistently po posting and focused on a niche, you will have a video that goes viral. There's no doubt in my mind in all the accounts I've either worked on, started or helped start, that's always the case. And with that initial video that goes viral, you're going to have an influx of followers that expect exactly what that initial video niche is. And you have to keep compounding on top of that. So my rationale was like, all right, I started with sports. Great. This is sports account. That's it. That's final. And thankfully I really like sports. So I continued on with that and yeah, it's kind of kind of history after that. So that first video was you doing a simulated 2K game of the 96 Bulls and the 15 Warriors, right? Correct. And the funniest part about that was I totally botched the text overlay. I think I said 97, 98 Bulls or 98, 99 Bulls. I think I said, yeah, I think it was 98, 99. Or 98, Anyways, it was a really bad Bulls team, but it like that I put the text on, but it was actually like the 97, you know, championship Bulls playing against, I think it was the 2016 Warriors, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, so it was, you know, in, in, it was a great matchup and it was just fun. We added some commentary with, you know, we placed these quote unquote bets. It was like a dollar <laughs> and we just had a lot of fun with it and it blew up. It was that a series or was that just one video? Oh yeah. It was, a, it became a massive series. Just again, I just kind of like, all right, we got to keep making these videos. Got to keep growing the audience. They really want to see these. Um, people were asking for more. People were making already, already making suggestions of, oh, we want to see this team against this team, or we want to see, you know, this player against this player in like a one-on-one -on -one sense. 
um, and really just kind of expanded to exactly that. We did teams versus teams. We did players versus players. We did 3v3. Uh, it was just so fun. As so you double down on the sports niche, but if you look at your account today, you're not doing those types of videos. So you still kind of had to transition your audience from you doing these simulated games with commentary and your reactions to now it's commentary, but not about simulated. It's commentary on news and, and things in sports culture. So how did you transition your audience from that type of content to this new type that you have? First off, it was really, it was actually really scary because just that first account took so, so long to grow. And so I had no idea if, if I started making new content, would I lose followers? What would happen? What would be the, uh, you know, what would be the, the engagement? Would it be any different? So it was really scary, but I kind of slowly eased into it. I started making these videos. I think I did, you know, talked about NBA legends sons. And I talked about, uh, you know, uh, I started doing like 2k ratings rather than just the games and kind of these just different, slightly different forms of content, but still in the same space, right? Still basketball. And then over time, I would slowly just focus on just doing kind of stories of in, in, in of basketball and making these kind of lists. And then for a while, kind of my what I was known for was like what happened to so and so, you know, like a, it was bad. And it really started with basketball, and then transitioned into into football, and then kind of other sports, and then back to basketball, and then kind of became an amalgamation of everything. And um, started talking, you know, doing stories. I absolutely love storytelling, um, and yeah, it just kind of wound up as that. So you said it was a scary thing because you didn't know if your audience was going to stick with you. So at what point did you stop doing the like the simulated 2K games and things like that? It was a slow, it was a slow turn. It was uh, because, I mean, my output of content has always been crazy. It's always been like two to three to four posts a day just on that one account. Um, and I just kind of slowly started changing the ratios. And over time, it was like, now it was fully just, you know, uh, basketball content that wasn't 2K. Um, and that just kind of took over the account. And so you said that the reason that the account is a sports account today is because that basketball video, that first one is what exploded. So prior to that, were you just posting anything and everything to see what sticks? You know, what's interesting, actually, I had an account. I mean, in the very early days of TikTok, and I actually posted, I was, I'll never forget it. I was in Beverly Hills and <clears throat> I saw, again, I like, I love cars. I love everything cars. And I saw a La Ferrari, which is a, it's a pretty rare and very expensive Ferrari. And it kind of drove by and um, kind of gave me a little pull, had a nice sound. Anyways, I posted that and it got like a hundred thousand views. I never forgot that. That was actually before this whole thing. So I kind of early on was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. I actually deleted that account. And then restarted it and just started kind of, yeah, to your, to your point, just started posting like random stuff. It was, you know, saved Snapchat memories. It was older videos in my, uh, just in my photo album on my phone, just kind of seeing what stuck um, and just kind of having a general curiosity about this new, weird, quirky emerging platform. So what was it about that, that Bulls one that let it take off? I had never seen a concept like that. I think there was, I actually took uh, some inspiration, I think from YouTube. I think a long time ago, I had seen a similar kind of automated game and people were just curious about the outcome but nobody was doing like you know high energy voiceovers or doing this whole like super funny fun betting kind of style so i think it was just again kind of an amalgamation of those those things high energy quick pace not super long um long form because this was well before the i think even 30 second uh uh well before at least a minute videos um 
where we can only do, I think, 15 to 30 seconds. So what makes a good TikTok today? You said, you know, keeping it shorter, like, because I know I just did for the last month, I was just want to kind of familiarize myself with the platform even more. So I posted three to five times a day for the month of October. And like one of the things I learned very quickly was watch time and shares are kind of the two biggest things I look for. So I'm curious, what are some of those things you look for when trying to make sure you make the best TikTok you can possibly make? So those two things, yeah, those are absolutely important. Um, I would say three specific things along with those things that come to mind initially are having the first two to three seconds are so important to keep the eyes on your video has to be an engaging hook. It has to be high energy. You have to be, you have to be cringy. You have to be like, people want to keep seeing you, whether it's for entertainment, educational or cringe purposes, just keeping eyes on your video is so important. So they don't keep swipe, you know, swiping to the next video. Um, Number two is the comment section. An unfortunate amount of creators don't reply to their comments and that's going to hurt them because every comment you get, even if it's a reply to your reply to their initial comment, you know, helps with the algorithm and keeps you on the for you page and keeps um, it pushing. Um, So that's massively important. Then last but not least um, is you have to focus on a niche. Uh, There are these massive creators, you know, the Noah Beck and D'Amelio's of the world um, that can post whatever they want. If you're kind of an average Joe, like, you know, me, you got to focus on something that you're passionate about and the authenticity is going to follow. You know, I mean, people will see that you're, that it's authentic because you're so passionate about it. And then they'll want to follow you for your perspective, your opinion, your insights, whatever it is. Um, but you have to focus on a niche sports dancing. And it kind of goes back to that initial video, right? It's like, if I posted that sports video and blew up and started doing dancing videos, then that's not going to stick. Um, so focus on a niche for sure is the third. What do you have to say to people who are concerned with picking a niche because then they're going to feel too boxed in? Maybe a little blunt, but that's kind of your problem. You know, if, if you don't love it, then why are you talking about it? Why are you doing it? Right. It's like I could wake up every single day at 4 a.m. and go to bed at 2 a.m. and talk about sports. I love sports. I love cars. I love, you know, nice homes and, and such. And uh, I can never get old. It, it never gets old. You know, sometimes you get tired. You know, you're at the end of the day, you hit the bed. And I'm like, I'm ready for bed. But I have so much, you know, enthusiasm and energy and curiosity about sports stories and, um, you know, crazy cool cars or celebrity garages and what cars people own or what's in this crazy wild mansion in, in the Hamptons, you know. And so those things just never get old to me. And I, I should probably clarify that you're, you're talking about cool cars and mansions. So you decided on top of your your sports camp, which is Adam P. Ferris, to create two other TikTok accounts. You created Launch Mode, which is your car account, which is just under a million followers now. And you also created Mansion Talk, which was your third account, which is just talking about mansions and stuff like that. So what led to you creating these other two accounts? Was it not necessarily feeling boxed in, but wanting to talk about other things and now understanding more how the platform works so you could create these two accounts? Like what led to those two? A multitude of things. I, but one of the things you mentioned is I want to see if I could do it again. You know, I want to see if I could kind of create another account and grow it. And what's crazy is that it was about halfway through my sports page that I started the launch mode account, the car one, and it grew three times as fast. Um, I think within the first month, I passed what my initial following was on my sports account, my personal Adam P. Ferris account. And um, and then here comes Connor back into the story, back in the picture as Connor kind of came to me and said, hey, we should try to scale this. We could do some sort of media company and so that's where the you know uh, mansion talk was born. And actually, we have uh, two other accounts about to be three other accounts. Two other ones um, are are run by 
two other creators. One's a yacht account, has about 25,000 followers. It's called Anchor Life. And kind of same thing, just really interesting uh, information and news on yachts, quirky features, et cetera. Another one is Sippin' On, where we talk about celebrity beverages. That could be anything from, hey, this is Post Malone's favorite drink to, hey, here's how to make a, a um, you know, a great gin and tonic and actually seeing it being made to here's the most expensive bar tabs ever kind of a thing. Um, and then lastly, we're going to, we're just starting a fashion account and we're looking to dive into a multitude of other accounts. And um, so, Hey, Jacob, you know, any, any creators that are, that are looking to run an account, uh, you know, absolutely reach out. But uh, that's kind of the, the birth of this media company. You mentioned how with the sports account, I think it was, you're posting two to four times a day right now, plus mansion talk plus launch mode. How do you stay on top of all that? Because one thing I noticed when I was posting three to five times a day was I was like, I stopped focusing on making sure I was doing things properly. Like I wasn't focusing on making sure the hook was right. I wasn't focused, like checking my analytics and paying attention to what was working. I was just so focused on getting content recorded, edited, and posted that everything else just kind of fell, fell by the wayside. So how are you finding kind of keeping up with that level of content output? Yeah, keeping organized can be difficult. Absolutely. I always try to plan at least 24 to 48 hours in advance of gathering assets to knowing exactly what I'm going to talk about to um, just being energized and ready for the next day, honestly. Uh, Again, because people remember who you are and how you portray yourself. And that's what really they resonate with. Um, And to be super frank, I think some of that can't really be taught. I feel like I am just kind of who I am. I've always had a high, you know, high energy and just get really excited about things I'm super passionate about. And I, and it feel it doesn't feel any different, but people are like, whoa, you have a ton of energy about this. And I'm like, that's just who I am. I love this stuff. That's not going to change. Why is it about, about the cars and mansions that drew you in? Cause like you started with sports, but what was it about those put, two things like why were those the two niches you decided to go into sports was because that video popped and like i'm doubling down here but out of anything in the world you could talk about you chose cars and mansions and i'm curious why those were the other two so my my first love is sports my second love closest to sports if not equal to sports is cars um and then off that actually it was kind of off connor's suggestions of like because connor loves homes mansions nice houses and i do too Um, but he absolutely loves it so he's like hey let's do this kind of like new age, modern, um, you know, uh, media company on luxury, why not do homes? I mean, you've talked about celebrity cars, talk about celebrity homes and talk about, you know, crazy expensive homes and big homes. And again, that kind of compounded in a sense where we could do things with yachts, we could do things with drinks, we could do things with fashion. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the initial thought process. Were you working with brands prior to starting the media company or did that, or did once you had kind of the media company in place, you started working with brands? Super thankful for the multitude of opportunities that have come my way just from my own personal account. I actually, the very first promotion I did uh, was when I had about 60,000 followers on my sports one and it was with Overtime. And I was like on cloud nine because Overtime is obviously a massive company and they were just coming out with the OT app. And I was like, this is so cool. Um, that this is a thing. And that was kind of like my first, um, you know, bite of the cookie into, wow, this, this is something that you can monetize. And uh, after that, it's kind of a multitude of, of, um, we almost have like a internal sales team, if you will, that reaches out to brands. And I'll dive into this um, whenever we want to, to discuss it. But there's kind of two facets to the media company. One is that original content through the accounts that we start and own. Um, and then two is that kind of like TikTok consultancy, if you will. So working with a ton of brands to ideate and strategize content, 
to produce original content um, and even help with paid media sometimes. Oh, it's like running, boosting like TikTok ads essentially? Yeah. I mean, anything really TikTok related, if uh, we've, we've got uh, some pretty in-depth experience with. So talk to me then about putting that team together. What does it look like right now? You said you got a couple of the creators. I think you might've just gone through a hiring wave, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so what does the team look like for Dapper Life right now? So we have, so that's kind of what I talked about early on about just kind of having these inter, interdisciplinary skill sets is I'm more of the kind of creative, high level vision. Connor's very operations, financially oriented. Um, he makes sure we're on track, doing doing good things, can can stay alive, and uh, and then yeah, we we both have been talking to a bunch of um, creators and frankly people that we think would be great creators. Some of these people don't even have any prior following, but just based off of their uh, personality, kind of what I talked about, um, their enthusiasm, their energy, their passion towards a specific topic, uh, they've been doing a fantastic job. So we have, um, I guess, three three creators uh one individual named patrick who runs the the anchor life account he has a immense love for yachts and boats and anything in the water um and then we have a, a you know a couple teams Susie and ryan Susie uh is the one who runs the sipping on account and ryan helps kind of edit videos he's more of like a long uh a long form and short form frankly just just he's a fantastic editor of, of videos um I mean, so he's, I mean, he's got experience with YouTube and et cetera. And that's another thing that we're diving into is we've got uh, YouTube accounts for all these accounts and those are growing rapidly too. Um, so yeah, we just try to be really specific about who we bring on, why, and, you know, with the goal of keeping them on for in the long run. So is it just those three that you've hired so far? Like no one else behind the scenes? It's yourself, Connor, and then the the three others? We've got a couple We've got a couple, we've got one kind of like advisor and then um, we're bringing on a couple other people, kind of what I talked about in the sales uh, regard of just reaching out to brands, whether it's like, hey, would you want to run promotions on any of these accounts or do you want help with starting your own TikTok account um, and you know, creating original content for that account because we have creators that can be the face of, of, of that account and kind of help you grow your brand presence on TikTok. Um, so yeah, we have a couple of folks that help out with, uh, with sales, what we call sales. And obviously hiring people isn't cheap. So are you bootstrapping this company? Are you using all the money you're bringing in to reinvest or are you going through the venture route again? That's correct. Yeah. We're actually all bootstrapped right now. Um, so through these deals, we really try to focus on long-term partnerships. Uh, that's, I mean, just kind of in my experience with Sports Illustrated, um, having a long-term partnership because I feel like something that we always try to talk to brands about is if we just do stuff for you for a month, you'll see some results, but really, I mean, it takes three, four five months. And so we got to have a solid partnership, a solid strategy and goal. Like, do you want to establish your brand presence? Do you want to have app downloads? Do you want to really understanding what their goals are? We can then reverse engineer and say, okay, this is, this can be your content strategy moving forward. Here's some creators that can help with that. Maybe even including myself uh, and kind of going from there and building out a strategy. So how do you determine when you're talking to a brand, like, are you trying, if they come to work with you from just a promotional perspective, do you often try to flip them into that longer term partnership, even look to do some consulting with them on their own TikTok? Like how do, when you're sitting down with a brand, how do you upsell that? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So we, uh, sorry, I realized I didn't really answer your question. So uh, we're fully bootstrapped and it's mainly off of these uh, um, long-term partnerships. So we usually focus on like a uh, kind of a month test, if you will. Uh, and then after that, we set kind of a minimum period of time 
um, whether it's three months, six months, a year to be their go-to kind of, uh, you know, TikTok agency, if you will. Uh, we also sprinkle in some things with Instagram as well as YouTube, uh, because I mean, IG reels and YouTube shorts, uh, have, we've seen massive success, even frankly, just from, um, reposting TikToks uh, on both of those mediums. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the goal that we do and or the kind of the, the path that we take. And, um, we really don't, aren't really looking for any investment right now. And, uh, probably going to be like that for a while. I mean, Hey, that just means you retain more equity. So it's, it's a great, like, there's so much, like, I don't know what the word is, but like venture seems so sexy and people kind of get drawn into that, but that means you're giving up equity you're selling part of your company for that. So the longer you can bootstrap and maintain as much equity as possible, the better it is for you guys. Absolutely. I think there's, there is a point where when we want to just absolutely accelerate and really, really grow where we will take on money, I think it just makes sense. Um, at a certain stage, but, uh, we're growing fast, you know, we're profitable already. I mean, um, we, the people that, you know, our creators are happy. We're, we're all happy. We're having a great time working with awesome brands and, um, yeah, never really looked back. It's been awesome. (laughs) And so as kind of the, the creative visionary person of the two co-founders, you're also one of the creators in terms of the content. So is there ever going to be a plan for you to, I mean, it's obviously you can't really do that with your personal account, but with uh, Mansion Talk, with Launch Mode, of kind of stepping back from those to focus on the business. You know what I'm saying? Because like, like, if you have to be the creator and also the business side, I can create some bottlenecks. Like, How are you going to approach that as you guys continue to scale? Definitely, yeah. So I think that there'll be certain things that I really focus on. Um, for example, I will probably hand off the reins on a couple of different accounts. I think I will, excuse me, always stick with my personal account, as you mentioned. And I think I'll frankly always stick with Launch Mode just because... I, that's just one I'm super proud of. And again, my, my, my passion towards cars is like immense. Um, but we, like I said, we were really quickly, more surprisingly than I thought, growing an audience on YouTube. And so I want to start doing, and what we're planning on doing is more like in-person stuff. We'll always have that green screen style content. That's just kind of what we're known for and what I'm known for. But we want to start, and and we are starting to, you know, kind of planning on doing these things is reviewing cars in person or you know, taking them out for a drive and, and, uh, you know, yeah, so on and so forth in kind of the automotive space or going to a nice home and talking about the things in person that we talked about in green screen. And then not only putting that into long form on YouTube, but also short snippets on TikTok. And, um, so I think that over time, just to answer your question is I'll be really starting to focus more on the high level creative, high level strategy. How, you know, what, what account spaces should we go into? What um, series should we do for those accounts? Um, So on and so forth. And with that growth that you're experiencing on YouTube right now, is that through primarily through shorts or is that through original long form content you're doing right now? Yeah, mainly through shorts. Um, It's really interesting to see both platforms, both platforms being Instagram and YouTube, prioritizing uh, short form video. It's very interesting. I mean, just to be upfront, it's, you know, now, now it's not massive, but in the past 60 days, We've added 2,000 subscribers just on the the launch mode YouTube, which, um, as I'm sure you're very familiar with, subscribers are probably one of the hardest people to get. I mean, probably the hardest sort of follower, if you would call them that, to obtain and keep and, re- and retain. Um, so yeah, super proud of that. And we're excited to, to keep pushing out interesting content, long form and short form. My, could my question based off that. So my guest last week grew his YouTube like through shorts, like he got on it really, really early and just absolutely exploded. Like he was doing, 
I think you in, in two months put up 2 million subscribers or in a month or something. It was just insane numbers. But now what he's finding is that he's having trouble now getting those people that watch his shorts to watch his long form content. Like he's saying the the conversion, it's like different audiences for short form and long form. So I'm curious if you guys have anything in mind or any plans for how you're going to kind of tackle that problem. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I hadn't heard about that. What's what I, it, so before I started posting the shorts, I actually had some longer form. And for example, I had, again, on the topic of cars, I had uh, this one LaFerrari when I was at, at Monterey, Monterey Car Week, and it kind of did a cold start and scared this girl. And it has like, you know, 13,000 views. And um, so I think really, and I'm curious, I mean, what uh, we could talk about in a second, but what niche that, that person's in? Because um, I think that it'll be interesting to see what happens for sure. Um, I, I just take a lot of, uh, you know, kind of my idols in the space are like the Stradman and um, DDE and F-Spot and pe- people like that because, you know, we'll eventually kind of like own some nice cars and do very similar style of content. So, yeah, I, mean, I am interested to see kind of what the response is. We've done a few long form where we quite literally stitched together a ton of um, TikTok videos and it could be specific to like, you know, all business mogul cars. And we talk, you know, we have like Bill Gates and we have, um, you know, Warren Buffett in there and it's, you know, it's, it's over like four minutes long. Um, and yeah, definitely the views aren't as good, but I still think long-term that again, if you just have that consistency, um, I'm just curious to see what happens, but, uh, we're definitely, that's something that we're going to kind of invest in, whether it's like actually buy a nice vehicle and do a build or go to car events and do more like vlog style for sure. And are you going to be the face of the launch mode YouTube as well? Like you are with the TikTok? I think it'll be kind of like, I don't know how familiar you are with what I mentioned, DDE, it's daily driven exotics uh, and kind of Damon Fryer is the main individual on that page, but there's also Dave and there's a few other folks that are kind of regulars. And so I think we'll kind of have that style. Uh, Cause again, you know, the Stradman James, that's one person, but uh, where it's more of like a company DDE is, I think launch mode is quite similar. So we'll have myself and maybe a few other folks that, um, are doing builds, going on road trips, just having these like interesting automotive related experiences. And so big picture, long-term, like what is the vision for Dapper Life? I think the vision is to be a multifaceted media company that that makes luxury content easily easily digestible and, and authentic. I know it's really wordy and maybe a little bit more long than I would wish, but um, that's just what I've seen is, is you know, I, I mean – there's, I feel like there's, uh, there's humor connected with information in a lot of my content, and that's very purposeful. Uh, I feel like there's a ton of accounts that are very, very formal in, you know, walking through a nice home or reviewing a car, and that's great. That's those are niches in themselves. But we want to really resonate with the audience and bring like, you know, a very authentic. Um, very little edited uh, viewpoint on things that we're doing. If that's me seeing, you know, being in a Lamborghini for the first time and being like, holy shit, this is crazy. Rather than talking about like, Hey, this is 556 horsepower. And here's, you know, the brake caliper specific details. Those are two different styles of content. And we want to go with the the prior and really just resonate with people that um, have fun and, and just enjoy those facets of life rather than like strictly are looking for the deep down 
nuances and details of everything. Speaking of kind of those little details, what are some of those little things you do in your TikTok on top of like mixing in some humor there intentionally? Like, are there any other little things you do with your videos that people might not realize that you're doing? Like, for example, I've had some other people that have done TikTok on the podcast in the past where like they put random objects in their background to try and get people to comment. Like, or one guy, he increases the sound by like 50% at the beginning of the video because that he found hooks people to have louder volume right at the beginning. Are there any little subtle things you do that people might not catch on with your videos? Definitely. So it's so funny because people think that I'm serious and um, they get so frustrated. But And I don't know if this is really a good thing, but sometimes I purposely kind of mispronounce something just because I know that people will comment and be like, hey, this, why'd you pronounce it this way, blah, blah, blah. And there'll be a ton of engagement. And frankly, like, I don't, I mean, I don't have the data to back this this uh, assumption, but I really think that that helps with some virality of some videos, for sure. Um, and frankly, I think that there's a kind of a similar actually marketing strategy that I think Starbucks does, where they might purposely just kind of guess your name on your cup, and so people would you know post it on their social media and be like, "How is this? you're not even close to spelling my name right?" You know, so it's kind of a similar thing, I think. Um, but yeah, sometimes I just like purposely mispronounce things, and uh, people get so mad or they like correct me and. I'm always like gracious and apologize, but really it's, it's all purposeful. It's all planned. How kind of on that, obviously that's planned. Like how have you handled hate on social media? Cause obviously like it's going to come when you have over 1.5 million followers across your page. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of eyes, a lot of opinions. How have you found handling the hate so far? People are brutal. Uh, apps. I mean, on, on any platform, just to be super frank. Um, and early on, I really took it personally. I mean, I think everybody probably does. I think they'd be lying if they said they didn't because that stuff hurts, even if you don't act like you don't see it or if you act like it doesn't. Because, um, yeah, people take personal jabs. But in the end of the day, just something you kind of have to remind yourself is that, you know, it, it, it's highly likely more often than not that these are just young kids that are, you know, frankly, kind of maybe lonely and looking for an outlet that um, that's just kind of how they take out their frustration. And I just kind of always remind myself, and honestly, over time, you just get really thick skin too. <laughs> You're just kind of like, oh, they called you, you know, like a a, a loser. I'm like, all right, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of like bounces off. But uh, also the prior, I think, is, is to be taken into consideration as well. Obviously, the, the hate the hate comments suck. But what have been kind of the flip side of that? What are some of your favorite parts of doing TikTok so far? By far, uh, you know, all, all positive comments like saying, hey, I love your content are great. Um, but honestly, some of the things that like actually really touched me and that I will never forget is, and granted, I mean, they seemed authentic to me. And um, I've gotten a few comments, and this was kind of in the height of quarantine and pandemic, that people were like, hey, you've gotten me through this pandemic, just your energy and your enthusiasm and just my intrigue towards your content being somebody else speaking there. Um, that made me feel really good and honestly makes all the haters and all the negative comments just kind of go away because I've made somebody, I helped somebody through like a difficult time, whether they were lonely, because I mean, I, you know, I don't want to go into a dark tangent, but I mean, I think suicide rates are in, in youth are higher than we've ever seen. And so if I can affect somebody in a positive way um, and help them laugh or smile or learn something that I'll never stop doing what I'm doing. That's, that's probably something you didn't think about, like that impact when you started. When you posted that like Bulls video, that's probably not something you ever thought about, I'm assuming. No, no. I mean, that first Bulls video, I was like, oh, this is a cool first viral video. I mean, maybe I'll get lucky again. But uh, seeing the impact I've had on people in positive ways is, uh, I mean, priceless. What are some of those other things that 
kind of when you started, you wouldn't have expected or wouldn't have ever thought possible or, you know what I mean? Like I talked to someone last week, I keep saying that, but he's also a TikToker. So it's just very comparable. Um, and he was saying like in LA, like one thing he didn't realize when he started was that these TikTokers are just people at the end of the day. Like he didn't realize like they seem like, cause there's so many followers that they're so different, but they're all just people at the end of the day. It's like, what are some of those things that you didn't realize when starting out on this journey that you know now? That you're just a person thing is so true. Uh, to be honest, I mean, I feel like I don't have that big of a falling. I mean, I know it's all relative, but um, I mean, I've had some ran- totally random people like at U of O that recognize me or friends of friends of friends of friends that had no idea I was friends of friends of friends of friends with that person who were like, holy crap, I follow you. Like, and just kind of like having those experiences are like totally bizarre. I mean, I again, I, I don't consider myself celebrity status at all, but just having those weird little experiences because I feel like just a person. I mean, it's so weird. This is another thing. It's so weird to know that you're talking to like X amount of people that you that this can be pushed out to millions of people. I just feel like I'm talking to a phone and I'm or I'm talking to myself and I'm just having a fun time doing it. Uh, you kind of disassociate with the numbers a lot of the time. And so I think that whoever said, um, you know, that we're just people and all content creators, frankly, are just people is so valid. Do you remember the first time you got recognized? No, but I remember the most recent one was uh, my girlfriend's little sister. She's like a freshman in high school. Um, she was with a bunch of her friends. It was kind of near Halloween. I think they were just all hanging out or something. And, and my girlfriend was sent her, you know, sent her sister a Snapchat of both of us. And some of her, a bunch of her guy friends saw me and was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I follow that guy. Like, I love that guy's content. And then they, she FaceTimed us and I spoke with like, you know, four, you know, like three or four of these dudes. And it was just the coolest thing ever. I was like, whoa, this is so cool that I've, you know, that these people enjoy what I do. And I just never thought I'd have that feeling or have that experience ever. As the company continues to scale, how do you make sure you keep doing kind of these, the parts of the business that you love? You know, I was listening to an interview with Ali Abdal, who's a big like productivity and personal development YouTuber from the UK. And he was saying that like, he found that he started outsourcing so much because he was finding so much success that he ended up outsourcing the parts that he liked to do for the sake of like optimization. So how do you make sure that as as Dapper Life continues to grow and scale that you're able to still do the things you love that got you started in the first place. Yeah, I think I've identified those things early. I feel like I have a pretty solid um, kind of self-awareness of just the things that I truly genuinely enjoy or the things that I enjoy, but, you know, to, excuse me, your point, maybe it'd be more, uh, you know, better use of time for somebody else to take those over. But yeah, I, I personally feel like I've already identified those couple things being kind of what I mentioned, for example, my personal TikTok and um, even the launch mode one of things that I'll stick with and that I won't give up for sure. Because those things I wake up and I'm just like ready to start the day, start making content, finding interesting stories and et cetera, et cetera. Dapper Life. So with those two pages and the everything else, Dapper Life's not really going to be consumer facing, right? Like that's just going to kind of be the behind the scenes holding company. That's the structure of the organization right now? As of right now, that's correct. Yeah, I think at some point we might start an account that is Dapper Life that is a place to post all these kind of luxury items, whether it's like, it sounds a little stalkerish and weird, but like, here's everything to know about Post Malone, his favorite drink, his car, his, 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 his wardrobe, stuff like that. It almost, kind of almost established these like playlists and these personas of people because people are so interested with celebrities and so interested with, you know, all this various different things, these items and such. And so um, I think it will eventually be a place, whether on YouTube, TikTok, Snapchat even, or all the above, where we kind of post 
again, kind of a connected like amalgamation of everything. That's perfect. Because it kind of leads me to my next question, which is how do you build community between your pages? You know what I mean? Like, is it going to be cross posting? Is it going to be like leaving those comments, commenting on each other's pages with your accounts? Like how have you guys, what's your ideas or thought process right now around developing a community around the brand as a whole and not just having these silos of individual pages? Absolutely. So first off, first and foremost, we're, uh, working with a couple of folks to kind of unify the branding so that it all really looks similar. So if you see a mansion talk video, you see a sipping on video, you kind of know based off the style and the watermark that it's all under the same umbrella. Number two is that we're also building a website right now that very clearly distinct, it kind of like identifies, these are our accounts. These are the creators behind them. Here's all the other mediums you can, you can see to view other sources of content. And then just to your point, it's a freaking machine, right? We have newsletters for every account. We have Instagrams, we have YouTubes and they all cross promote. It's just a machine that goes back and forth because we have subscribers on YouTube that have no idea we're on TikTok. We have, you know, um, people on that are subscribed to our newsletters. They have no idea we have a YouTube. So we'll put a YouTube video in a newsletter. And so it kind of builds again, to your point, this massive success. I mean, this massive um, sense of community between all people uh, from all different mediums and platforms. And then also by having this network of pages, like you talked about doing long-term partnerships with brands. Now you can also package these individual pages as well into groups. So you can reach like ideally a lot of the same audience, but multiple touch points, but also scratching at different audiences as well by reaching with all these different pages. Absolutely. Um, And to be honest with you, a little bit of our, our thought process around and how we pick and choose which accounts we want to start, whether it is a, you know, car account, whether it is a fashion account is also identifying potential brand partners saying, Hey, is there a, is there a bunch of fashion companies, you know, that are, that are on TikTok that need help? Are there few, both have our opportunity, you know, opportunities in itself. Um, are there a bunch of, you know, tequila companies that would want to sponsor like a, you know, a beverage account. So we're also, we reverse engineer and think about that along with just, again, how can we create these long, long series and keep people retained and always adding new series, always um, staying innovative and, and entertaining in a sense. So how are you coming up with these series? Like where do, is there like a whiteboard session? Do you all jump on a zoom call and just throw ideas out? Like if you're, again, we talked about earlier two to four times a day per page, like that's a lot of content. So how do you come up with it all? Just what you mentioned. Um, it could be whiteboard sessions. It's uh, will we highly you know suggest creators just use their notes app that's something that i do it's like hey i'm thinking about a new series for this account but i mean there is just no shortage of series of things to do you could be as specific as here are the ugliest wheels on celebrity cards you know and that could be a whole series or here are the you know here's uh um i mean one that i that the, that the uh, sipping on the beverage uh creators thought of was just as you, you know, expensive bar tabs. I, I mean, geez, that, that was a great idea. I, they thought of that. They're like, let's do it. And uh, I think that's actually one of the most popular videos is Mark Cuban's um, bar tab with the Maverick top. They won the championship. So it, we're always just bouncing ideas off of each other. And it, it's just so great that we have a diversity of thought because exactly that there has to be no shortage of series. And, and frankly, thankfully, knock on wood, there hasn't been, and I don't think there ever will be just because there's so many things to just talk about and people and, things that people are interested in. 
and a lot of the content right now in terms of like content creation output, you said it's the green screen style content. So the, the text, the, what's behind you on the green screen is normally an article, which highlights whatever the, the topic of the video is. Is that original content that you guys have written that you're pushing people to, or is that other content you're kind of just curating right now? Both. So, um, back to the kind of massive, you know, cycle that we talked about the machine, uh, that's exactly right. So on, we have a launch mode um, newsletter where we, on our own time, try to find exactly what's in these celebrity garages. And we'll, I'll actually use that as green screen. And then I'll promote, hey, we've, this is from our newsletter, you know, check it out. Um, but then, yeah, a lot of things, you know, such as the stories that I do on my sports account are sourced from various different, you know, authors. And I always make sure to cite them. But uh, yeah, that stuff isn't original as of right now. How do you balance like with that newsletter idea? Like, hey, this is in our newsletter. How do you balance giving people original content on all the different platforms, but also trying to cross pollinate? Because if it's a lot of like, hey, you can watch this on our YouTube or check this on TikTok or a newsletter, like I'm already here, I'm already seeing it. Why would I go elsewhere? So how do you balance providing unique value and on one platform, but also not wanting like having a content idea that you also can share to the platforms? Like, how do you balance that? If I'm understanding correctly, I, we we kind of cross promote a handful of times during the week. We again, the output's so crazy that. Uh, People don't seem to shy away from a few different cross promotions here and there a week. If you're producing like, you know, 30 pieces of content a week, if you cross promote three or four times, people don't really blink an eyeball and frankly, actually kind of like saying like, hey, oh well, yeah, I forgot you had a newsletter. Great. I'll go subscribe. Um, so I think that's probably, yeah, I think that's probably the most important thing is just making sure we continue with the high volume of content output and just kind of sneaking in a few promotions that feel natural. Um, so if we're talking about Travis Scott's car collection, great. Maybe somebody loves Travis Scott here's his, here's what he likes to drink, or here's what he's wearing in this specific photo. Um, go check out that account. So just being strategic with that cross-pollination too works really well. So if you were to just say like how much you're allocating your time on each platform, TikTok number one, YouTube two, newsletter three, or what's kind of the breakdown right now? Yeah. So I actually don't write the newsletter articles. So I would say very minimal there. That's another team member. Um, but I would say, I mean, TikTok by far, <laughs> for sure. And then actually right now, uh, we're just reposting kind of what we just talked about, those uh, TikToks on on Reels and also on um, YouTube Shorts. Uh, but I would say it's a combination of Instagram and YouTube in, in second, probably tied, because we do plan on, do, we do are doing longer form things, whether it's going to a nice car museum and, you know, get a tour or something like that, or we're driving a nice car. Um, to, Hey, we're checking out this cool house that we have, you know, we have a relationship with a agent of a luxury, you know, listing or something like that. Um, and we're getting photos for Instagram. We're getting long form video for YouTube, but, uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely one is TikTok, two is those two tied. And then third is kind of a, a few different things. So walk me through what your day looks like as the founder and creator within this media company, you wake up when you go to bed, when, what happens in between those two times? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I wake up, uh, probably wake up at 6 or 7 a.m. I usually hit the gym first um, and I get home. I start filming my content in the morning and uh, kind of what that looks like is I would have gathered those assets the night prior. Um, so I'd film all those videos and then I usually start posting on all accounts around noon to 1 p.m. And then it's usually like an hour to two hours after that is I keep kind of posting. Um, excuse me. and. By about, I don't know, six or seven, I kind of wind down. I might hit the gym again. I'll probably make dinner. Um, but then I'll start after dinner, uh, usually when I'm kind of I pop on, like, I don't know, Netflix show I like, I'm like a Narcos recently. It's kind of a fun show, interesting show. Um, and uh, I'll just kind of 
start ideating for the next day and start gathering assets. Um, whether that's looking up stories, whether that's searching, you know, what cars people own, whatever it might be, just looking for interesting things that I can talk about the next day and gathering those assets. And also mixed in there is calls with clients, is, um, uh, you know, sort of like pitches to new clients, if you will. There's, I mean, there's no shortage of people reaching out, wanting either a face to their brand or some sort of strategy and ideation help, or even just to promote and, and you know, on our specific pages. So um, yeah, and we're very thankful that that's the case. I think it's kind of a matter of right place, right time. I've heard elsewhere you say that you often spread yourself too thin. How do you make sure you don't do that in this case? In the past, that was a big learning of mine for sure. Um, and kind of feeding off of that is, again, goes back to the hiring of being very strategic with people uh, in terms of hiring people and their skill sets. Um, because there was times where I would try to edit long form YouTube videos and that is not my skill set. And what, what might take now that we have Ryan on him 30 minutes, it would take me like three hours, you know, uh, Adobe premiere, I mean, premiere is a very complex thing. So, um, so, I mean, he's just a, a mastermind at that. And so, um, whether it's that, whether it's, uh, people helping me gather assets for the next day or people sending me articles or stories or things to do. Um, but yeah, really just focusing on, how efficient we can be, but also not, uh, you know, having quality affect that efficiency. Uh, Cause we always want to put out the most highest quality things. And frankly, honestly, TikTok isn't super high quality in a sense, but just in terms of how I put out the story or uh, is everything correct uh, in terms of the information that can be hard sometimes, but um, to answer your question, definitely uh, bringing on skilled people, in an efficient way that they, they do things that they do best. And we do think, you know, I do things that I do best. What are some of those other things you learned, whether it be with fleet nurse or shred or even duck ventures that have helped you when either setting up this business, or running this business day to day, like what are some of those old, those lessons that you've taken from those previous ventures that apply now? Have consistency. And that's not just from a content perspective, but just in how you treat clients, just in how you treat people. Um, if you know, I always try to lead with good, in my opinion. Uh, it's you know, the, I, I've always you know, there's been past experiences where I think that there was might have been some malintent, but you always just lead with the with the kind of best judgment and and you know that people are are generally good. Most people are good people, and so um, I'm always pretty positive about that. And there's always we can come to some sort of agreement on something, whether it's volume of content, whether it's um, Hey, let's kind of retry this this piece of content, or let's retry this. Uh, you know, rework this contract, whatever it might be. Um, just kind of leading with respect and being nice, honestly, um, has definitely paid dividends uh, in building relationships and and keeping those relationships. Frankly, um, and then more specifically is. Uh, Wait to wait to establish yourself as a as a legal registered entity as long as possible. To be completely honest, um, because it gets a lot more complex in terms of like doing your taxes and remembering all the little ancillary fees. And sometimes if you forget those, you get a nice little letter from you know the IRS or something. I mean, it's like just things that as a young kid you're like, wow, this is really scary. But I'm glad I'm learning this now um, because that just makes you a better business person. And makes you prepared for those scary things. And honestly, uh, yeah, I would also say another thing is like, 
this is really specific, but um, do not get into the patent space unless you are absolutely sure it's a novel concept. Because early on in Shred and other things, I'll be you know we spent a lot of personal money trying to figure something out and in, in, in kind of garnering IP when we probably could have waited. Um, and uh, so yeah, just a couple nuggets right there. <laughs> How often do you look back on the entire journey? You know, even back that that five-year-old kid whose dream school was Oregon, to going to Oregon, to starting these groups at school, to your first couple ventures, to now with Dapper Life and all your TikTok pages. Like, how often do you look back on the whole journey? Not enough. Maybe sometimes when I'm in the shower, just getting nostalgic. You know, I feel like that's kind of like my place to think and and where I don't have to have my face in front of a screen or uh, don't have to be talking to somebody. It's just me in there. And that sounds really weird, but I'm sure that's other people's place too. But uh yeah, I think that's, I don't know, I think one of the most powerful things is finding where you can be by yourself thinking your own thoughts and not being distracted by the bajillion things that are fiending for your distraction in such a digital world. Um, whether that's driving, you know, driving by yourself in a car, whether that's at the gym, whether that's in the shower. Um, and so I don't think I think about the journey enough because I try to really, this sounds super cliche, but I really try to enjoy the moment. Um, and I've, uh, yeah, I, I truly try to just get everything in in one day that I'm most happy with. And um, sometimes I do, yeah. Sometimes you do just kind of sit back and we're like, wow, it's been a, been a wild journey. I've learned a lot, I've experienced a lot. And I feel like I'm still doing that. And I'm still super young and um, thankful for every up and down that I've been, been through, for sure. Before I let you go, I'm going to ask you the same standard set of questions I ask everyone at the end of every interview. First one being, you're going to dinner. You can take three people. It could be anybody dead or alive. Who do you take to dinner? Elon Musk, LeBron James, and probably my grandfather. What's some of the best advice you've ever been given? Probably something like, just imagine if it could be better, you know? Because just as you mentioned, it's like, you kind of don't really think about what you're doing in the moment. And it just sounds super trite and cliche, but... There were just a couple of people who were like, hey, you're on cloud nine right now. You're, you're killing it. But just imagine if it could be better. And I'm just like, it kind of pushes you to amp it up even more and keep working hard and keep going. It is good to celebrate. Absolutely. But uh, almost use that celebratory testosterone in a sense, or maybe not testosterone, but celebratory uh, energy um, to like compound that and keep going. I like that. I'm a believer that people don't dream big enough. I totally agree. It's like, wow, I just did something I'd never done. And then we'll think about if you did it double that or triple that or if you grew even bigger or something. What's one thing about you people wouldn't expect? Oh, I'm going to shock you here. You ready? Um, I am super introverted. I love my independent time. I love time by myself. Frankly, this, I have an apartment all to myself and I love it like that. I don't have pets or anything. Um, not to be frank, I was an only child, but... I feel like when people view me on TikTok or, or people talk to me like we're talking right now or I meet new people, they're like, holy crap, you know, you're so outgoing and stuff. But I think I'm probably one of the happiest people when I'm like with one friend or frankly, if I'm just by myself, I love my alone time. What's one thing that's so important everybody needs to know? You won't know unless you try, honestly. I mean, kind of goes back to the very first video. Who would have known I'd be here after that one weird funky video that just kind of blew up. And um, the way I got there was I just tried it out, you know, people, you know, again, it's not anything original, but 
people are just so hesitant to even try without knowing the outcome, you know? And if you don't know the outcome in with absolute certainty, then I think you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't try. For my last question, I like to flip the script a little bit. So instead of me asking the question, it's you asking the question, but it's not to me. Pretend you have a crystal ball. You can ask this crystal ball any question, you'll get the 100% honest answer. What is one question you want to know the answer to? How does it pan out? <laughs> I like that. That's a good, a simple question, but it's a good question. But I, I want to thank you so much, man, for taking time to come on the podcast. I want to give you the floor. And I know we've talked about all the different handles and all the different things, but where can the people find you? Plug anything and everything you got right now. As we talked about TikTok a lot, you know, my main TikTok is at Adam P. Ferris, and that's Ferris spelled like Paris, but with an F, not like Ferris Bueller. Um, uh, same thing on Instagram. Um, and yeah, if you want to, talk more personally rather than because a lot of those those couple places are just a lot of content um feel free to add me on linkedin and connect with me uh adam ferris same kind of thing and um happy to chat with anybody and everybody love meeting people love connecting despite me just saying i'm introverted (laughs) i love you know meeting new people i genuinely do and um yeah best places for sure. Awesome, man. I want to thank you once again for taking time to be on the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening, whether you listen the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate taking time to check this out. Everyone do me a big favor. Go and follow Adam. Go and follow all of the lineup of accounts they have at Dapper Life. We'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me everywhere on social media at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening. We'll talk soon. 